What's up, everybody? Welcome into a Friday edition of Texans All Access. How you doing? I'm John Harris, Flannel Sideline Reporter, alongside the voice of the Texans, Mark Vandermeer. Mark, happy Friday. How you doing? Johnny, I'm doing great. I mean, this is, look, I always say this is an exciting time of year because it always seems like there's stuff to look forward to in the NFL calendar, mm -hmm. no matter what time of year it is. And we had scheduled last week, a couple of weeks before that, the draft, obviously. I don't have to go over everything, but we have OTAs coming up. And they've been practicing, mm -hmm. but now they, they get into that final phase for a few weeks before they have the mini camp and the big break. So I'm psyched to see some of that action, and we'll be talking about it. It's going to be fun. It is going to be fun. Also going to be fun a little in the lab with my man, Drew Doherty, uh, in our next segment. And then Cody Davis, locked on Texans. Cody Davis going to join Mark. That's going to be a fun conversation. So we'll have both of those. So, Mark, I decided on a Friday. Well, first of all, this I had decided on doing, uh, but I want to get your gut reaction to the news that's out there. Uh, I don't think I've seen it official from the Texans, but if it's out on social media, it's got to be true. And that is uh, Jacob Martin, edge rusher, coming back to the Texans. Your gut reaction to Jacob Martin coming back? The more the merrier, Johnny. I don't know how they're going to sort all this out, yeah. right, with, the, with yeah. the edge players because they all of a sudden have a lot to choose from. And I don't think it's all of a sudden. We've been talking about this. They have a mm -hmm. lot of guys to choose yeah. from and sift through on this 90-man roster. And we'll see where it all goes during training camp. And you know what I like to say? Sometimes injuries solve the problem. And I'll put yeah. all that in air quotes. And you don't want that kind of problem with injuries. But sometimes they are the determining factor as to who's available and what the final selections are for the 53-man roster. But I like having Jacob Martin around. You know, I, I know you feel the same way I do. He's a wonderful guy to interview. He's a good player. Uh, we'll see what he's got for this team and what this team has for him. It's funny because I saw the report that he was visiting, and then uh, moments later almost, I'm walking into the building, and I think he was on his way out from his visit. And I said, hey, you back? And he said, I hope so. We'll see. <laughs> and now – uh, it appears that he's back, so that's very cool stuff. Yeah, it, you know, it's funny. Um, I was having a conversation uh, yesterday with one of my buddies teaching a sports marketing class uh, on KDISD, and so, you know, one of the things uh, we got to talking about was, you know, things you see in the building. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> man, some of the things we see in the building that, you know, you'd like to be able to go to Twitter and say, hey, I just saw this guy in the building, or I just saw this person, it's like, Whoa, no, <laughs> those yeah. are things we will never, we will never do. Um, and so we haven't seen the official word, but it has been reported by pretty much every uh, source in the city, I guess, uh, any informed source. So uh, Jacob Martin, it sounds like going to be a Texan, uh, at least going into the rest of the OTAs, going into offseason. Uh, you got to say that now because Eric Tomlinson looked like, all right, he made the 90-man roster for like a week. Uh, and yeah. then he was off of it um, because of the transactions that have had to take place. So uh, we'll see how that uh, transpires. But Jacob Martin back in the building uh, for for now. And hopefully we'll see for a while. Signed, I think, is a one-year contract. So we'll get you those details once it becomes official. All right, yeah. Mark, here's what I had planned to do. I wanted to hit you with my somewhat bold predictions. And I want you to rate me on sizzle fires. You ready? Okay, I will. I will, Johnny. But don't we have to say something about the greatest running back who ever lived? Oh, my gosh. How did I get this far into the show <laughs> and not talk about uh, Jim Brown? My goodness. Jim Brown passed away 87, I thought yep. I saw today. Um, 
I'll never forget, you know, for all, as great as he was, you know, I grew up with NFL films. I think we all did. I saw so much Jim Brown on, you know, on NFL films. And it just felt like, my gosh, who was this guy? He was incredible. And then as you, you know, as I got older and I learned more about Jim Brown, I realized, oh my gosh, that guy was a lacrosse All-American. Um, then you start putting together the fact that he was one of the first African-American players um, of a of such a grand stature uh, in the NFL. Right. Uh, and, I, right. you know, the NFL had, had some African-American players, but none, I think, to the extent of Jim Brown uh, at that point. But then one thing I remember distinctly was 1984. I was 12 years old, got Sports Illustrated. Jim Brown's in a Raiders uniform on a cover. And it says, should Jim Brown come back out of retirement? And I'm like, he, re- you know, he'd retired almost 20 years after the fact. But you looked at it and went, oh, yeah, let's do it. Let's go. I mean, yeah, let him run again. That would be fun. But. Uh, just an incredible athlete, did a lot uh, in the community. Uh, you're right. You, you brought it up, Mark. Jim Brown, uh, unfortunately, passes away at 87. Well, it, I, you brought it up about the NFL films footage. He played in an era where it's kind of like Otto Graham, who played for the Browns as well, where you're not going to get to appreciate certain players because they played before the media era had really exploded right, right, right. in this league. And you don't get the full sense. You get some of a sense and you look at the numbers in a 12 game season and all the yards he racked up and he retired in his prime. It was about going to Europe to shoot the dirty dozen and yeah. you know, things just fell apart with the Browns at that point, but he could have got another three, four, five, six years, whatever, and put up a number that would have been really hard to pass. But when you reference the Raiders uniform, that cover of Sports Illustrated, that's when Franco Harris, who was the first to threaten his record, was doing it. And he didn't like Franco because not as a person, but didn't right. like Franco running out of bounds and Franco right. preserving the body. He was OK with Walter Payton breaking his record, but not Franco. And obviously, uh, things have changed since then. And you have a longer season. You have bigger, faster, stronger athletes. Well, maybe not stronger than him. But he was one of a kind. And Johnny, one stat in reading about him that jumped out to me was 30 films. I thought, if you asked me, how many movies was Jim Brown in? I would say, I don't know, something like 10. I would have have thought that might be a high watermark. But it's 30 movies and the Dirty Dozen and all the rest of even any given Sunday, which came out in what, 99. He's in that as well as an assistant coach. So uh, we had to pay tribute to him. Yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, Some will argue the greatest player of all time. And it's a hard argument not to make. So Mm -hmm. at least he's got to be in the top five. And I I think, you know, it's funny because Paul Brown, the great Hall of Fame coach of the Cleveland Browns, put him at fullback. I think if Jim yeah. Brown had played in a later era, I think Jim Brown would have had 45 to 50 catches a year at a minimum. I think he would have oh, been yeah. a wonderful receiver out of the backfield uh, and would have done so much beyond even what he did. But but you're right. He had contract. Uh, there was contract negotiations going on, and they weren't going to his liking. He just said, I'm done. Yep. And like, wait, what? We Hollywood career. Look, That's if you could do so we got to see with him. Um, wow. If you, if you could do scenes with Raquel Welsh, you might retire too. So yes. that's what happened. Um, not the Dirty Dozen, but I forget what yeah. the movie that was, but that's another era. He was a groundbreaking actor as well because of the scene he did mm-hmm. with her and kissing yes. her. And that was a huge deal at the time. I mean, Sidney Portier, him, there were not too yep. many actors who could who could cover the ground that he could in Hollywood. Yeah, he was boy, he was he was one of one, as they say, as the kids say. He was him, no doubt. Okay. It's time to rate my bold predictions 
okay. on the sizzle fire meter. All right. They, these are kind of all over the place. All right. And some are not so bold, but yeah, we'll call them bold anyways. All right. Number one, the leading receiver for the Texans in 2023 will be Dalton Schultz. Rate my sizzle fires. I knew you were going to do this. I'm going to give it two and three quarters to three sizzle fires. Okay. Because All a right. lot of people would say it's got to be a receiver, right? But right. you are absolutely right that Dalton Schultz could turn out to be the quarterback, whoever that might be. And we think it's going to be CJ Stroud to start off the season. That's that's what you and I might think and hope yes. and the fans as well. We'll see how it all plays out. But I think no matter who's playing, he's such a good receiving tight end that he might be the best friend. And I think the receivers – when you look at what they've got, it's such a committee right now. I think they have a lot of talent. Right. We'll see what number one possibly emerges out of that. But I don't think it's that far-fetched, so I'll, I'll give it two and three quarters. Okay. Fires. All right, here we go. The Kansas City Chiefs not only will not win a second consecutive Super Bowl, they won't even get there. I'll give this – two and a quarter ooh, ooh, I, yeah. thought I, was, ooh, I thought i was i thought i was out there in this one to, to not make the super it's hard to make the super bowl in the yeah, afc you have aaron Rodgers now the bills are knocking on the door still i think they have enough left in the tank to continue to knock uh you always have challengers you have the bengals who consider themselves a worthy rival of the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't think it's far-fetched to say the Chiefs might not make the Super Bowl. A lot of people talk about the loss of Bietemi, but I think it's more than that. It's the loss of a lot of things over time. The team turns over. Are they filling in those roster spots as well as the Patriots did around Tom Brady for all those years? It's harder than you think. Easier said than done. The Patriots went a 10-year run without winning one. Now, they went, but they didn't win one. And among that run was a undefeated regular season. So you just never know how it's going to play out. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, but they've got the human cheat code playing quarterback, and that's just uh, yeah. okay. So let's go to the other side of this. The Philadelphia Eagles will win their second Super Bowl in seven years. Uh, I think that's uh, three sizzle fires. All right. Okay. Because all right. you have all those strong teams in the AFC. Right. The Chiefs being the Super Bowl loser, what happens to the Super Bowl loser very Ooh, often, Johnny? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Very Good often point. it doesn't work out the following year. The the encore campaign isn't quite as good. So we'll see. Uh everyone's gunning for them now. They are the hunted, all of that stuff. So we'll see how it works out in Philly. Plus, you're replacing both coordinators which I think is a bigger deal than people think. I know they have qualified individuals taking over, but I think it's a bigger deal than people think. Brian Johnson as OC seems to have all the goods you need. Yeah. But we'll see how it works out without Steichen and without Gannon. Oh, yeah. Um, I just love Jalen Hurts, man. Uh, just, that guy is uh, just – I think he is – I think he's the motor. The, he's the engine. He's everything for that team. So as long as he stays healthy, I, I, I'm going to make the – because the NFC is just not as – it's not as much of a gauntlet as the AFC is. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, okay. Here we go. The Texans will win as many or more home games in 2023 than in the last three years combined. All right, so let's do the tally here because I know the, <laughs> the victories they've had. They've had some road wins. Okay, like so 20 this past season, none at home, correct? Right, none at home this past season. 2021 was the Jaguars and, and the, the Chargers. Chargers. 
Yeah. And in 2020, it was the Jaguars and the Patriots. So it's four. So nine home games. I'm saying they're going to have as many four or more in 2023. Rate the sizzle fires. Two and a half. Oh, Two okay. Half. I think you're down okay. the line here because I don't, you know, you would think you would win more at home than on the road. And I know on the road, right. the AFC South five and one in the last two years, that's kind of a weird stat. Right. But it's there. Right. Uh, I would think at home they would start to play a lot better at some point. And why not this be the point? So four right. wins out of nine home games. I like this a lot. I like okay. four at home, at least okay. two or three on the road to get at least a six, seven. That's I don't want to say that's minimal expectation because who the heck knows. But yeah. that's what I'd love to see at the very least. But I want to see a whole lot more, please. Okay. The NBA champion will be the Denver Nuggets. Johnny, that's like a one and a half sizzle oh, fire okay. at this point. All Seriously, right. they look so good. And I like to point out, remember, I went nuts with the build your team take the other night. Yeah. Where I said, look, uh, Jokic is the what 42nd, 41st right. player drafted. And Murray's not a top five pick. And look what those two guys are doing to the Lakers, right? Yeah. They're right. tormenting the Lakers right now. And Anthony Davis, you know what? You got to play a lot better than that. You got to play a lot better than you are. Mm. Uh, look, LeBron, I know he hasn't been perfect, but he's doing all he can. I mean, he's like 75 years old at this point. You've got to help out the old man to win <laughs> another championship. I think old. the Denver Nuggets might be the best team left. The Celtics can't seem to find their coach doesn't like to call timeouts. Yeah. Did the Heat put up 40 plus at a quarter and there were no timeouts called by the Celtics? I get letting your players play through stuff, but, you know, hindsight, things needed to be done. And the Heat might be the sneaky hottest team left in this Final Four in the NBA, but I, I think the Nuggets winning it is not, not far-fetched at all. They're up 2-0 in the West over the Lakers. Come on. What team is the least likely to win? Oh, gosh. Is it the Lakers at this I, point being down 0-2? I, would I mean, say down so. 0-2, um, yeah. showing a little bit of their age. I mean, the Heat's the Heat. It's up one, nothing. I mean, but I could see the Celtics coming back. I, yeah. I don't know that either one of them beats the Nuggets or even the Lakers, I guess. I don't know. Um, I, I would probably say the Lakers. Just I, given the fact. In last night's game, I mean, it's not like they had it in hand. But they're playing pretty well for three quarters, and then they just couldn't get it done on Jamal Murray. And Murray, it doesn't Murray got high. It was unbelievable. If you're within six or – even 10 in the NBA, you're coming into the crunch. You need a couple of stops, a couple of makes, all of a sudden everybody gets tight, right? Yeah. Or, you know, everything's magnified a thousand percent. Every shot becomes huge. You just got to find a way to engineer three or four good possessions on both sides of the floor. And then voila, it's a ball game once again. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, every team in the league knows that. You just can't let it get out of hand. Yeah, well, it's up to Denver to go to LA and at least get one out there and then get one back home and it's all over. I think the Nuggets are better than the Heat or Celtics. But then again, with Jimmy Butler, the way he's playing, man, pfft. a couple of the Celtics got their hands full. But we'll see how they respond. I remember 2001, Allen Iverson did his thing against the Lakers in game one. Then the Lakers won four straight. So we'll see how the Celtics bounce back. Coming up next, Drew Doherty is going to join me in the lab coming at you on a Friday. Texans all access. Boom. Perfect. All right, man. All right. I'm going to put it together. All right. Thanks, Johnny. All right. See you, Mark. Have a good weekend. We'll see you. Bye. Bye.
Nothing I like better than getting a little in the lab on a Friday evening with me, your host this evening, John Harris, football analyst, and my man Drew Doherty, Texans TV, Texans uh, sideline reporter for preseason games on TV. Drew is he's one of my great friends. He is one of the great broadcasters I've ever dealt with and one of the heck of a guy to do a podcast with. So let's get it done right here in the lab on a Friday. Let's go. I want to talk about Stroud and Tank Dell specifically. Just my little odd observations. And I want you to tuck away your observations and bring them up in just a bit. But one of the fun things we saw from Stroud that kind of took me back, and I think Mark brought it up, but one of the first plays, and it was a it was a basic play. It's nothing exotic. But seeing him do the bootleg, mm-hmm. and that's going to be a part of this offense oh, yeah. because it's a derivation of Gary Kubiak's offense that we saw here back when. But it was nice seeing that integrated very, very early on in a practice. And we've, and we've seen it over the years here in between, you know, when, when O'Brien was running that offense and the offense we've seen over the last few years. But it was just, it's clear that that's going to be a point of emphasis in this offense. And there was, you're basically jogging while you're doing it. But just seeing that placed back in made my heart smile. It's such a staple in this offense. Mm-hmm. Um, you think of, so many different quarterbacks of so many different shapes and forms and abilities that have run that particular play and run it such that they get a wide open passing pocket with all the time to look and deliver. And when you have a guy that can throw the ball with such accurate ball placement is so precise, like CJ Stroud, if you just give him, that window, he's going to find it. And that that becomes really, really interesting. And obviously, he can move, too. So he's always going to put defenders in a bind when he is out on the move. Um, and sure, there are other things that this offense has to be able to do. But if you said, all right, give me some absolutes, your your bootleg game has to be on point. Because there's so many different things that happen once a quarterback gets out of the pocket and the rush has been sucked in towards the run and the quarterback is now outside the pocket. He's somewhere between the hash and the numbers and he's just looking at the field. As a defensive back, you're like, oh man, I'm in trouble. And so if you're in man coverage, well, obviously you just you just stay in man coverage. But if you're in zone coverage, if you're say you're in cover two, if you're the flat defender, like, okay, the he's booting at me. Do I keep sinking? Because if I keep sinking deep underneath the, the deeper routes, man, he's going to run for five to seven yards at a minimum before I can even get there. Now do I break forward to go tackle him? Well, all of a sudden he'll throw the ball over me and I'll get in trouble for that. So listen, well, listen to what you just said. Listen to what you just said. I love this. You, you make the defense and the guys on defense think about so many right. more things than they normally would not have absolutely. to. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, no, that, that's, that's essentially, when you think about football, that's exactly what you want to do. I mean, I'm, I'm, I remember. What you're doing is not complicated. No, But it's no. forcing them to be complicated. And, I mean, that's, you know, we used to always say that on the offensive side, you know, coach on the offensive side of the ball. Look, they're a bunch of meatheads on defense. They just want to run and hit people, <laughs> make them think a little bit. Now, you can't get to a point where you're thinking so much like I think they're think that we think that they think that we think that they think that we're going to yeah. do this and think that. No, but we're going to you can't think that. But you just have to have situations. And I think the scheme itself is just tailor made for putting a defense in a bind. 
What are you going to do defensive tackle when we block this way? What are you going to do defensive end when we do this? What are you going to do safety if we give you this? What are you going to do corner if you're in zone and we do this? And so I think the bootleg is one of those plays that puts so many people on the defensive side in really a, a world of hurt. And it, it, it's almost, it becomes almost an either or situation and you know you run the first play of the game or whatever it is and you run a zone run and you're like okay you got people in the box coach in the box are looking at it going all right what the defensive end do he crash hard what the backside linebacker do did they lever spill like how did how did they play this did they run through the backside what do they do on that zone play and then you make the next couple you know, go a couple plays you come back to it and now you and you pull it out and you bootleg and you get a look at what they're looking at and I, I just remember there were so many different things. There were so many different wrinkles that came off of the bootleg. I remember when Kyle Shanahan was calling it here in 09. Mm -hmm. And I remember Andre running a route where he was on the backside. So the boot was booting towards him, but he was running. Or I'm sorry. The, the bootleg was going away from him. So he would start across the field. And so it was like you were going to boot, and then, you know, Matt would throw it and meet it. But then what would happen was Andre would pivot and go back the other way, and you're like, whoa, it's a long throw. Mm -hmm. But invariably, that route was open all the time. So Owen Daniels do that a lot. And I've seen more teams do that in the last, you know, 10 to 15 years where you start on a boot and then you go back the other way, and the corner is lost because the corner is trying to run with that. And then you go the back the other way. Now it's a long throw. But they're just wrinkles that you can have off of – movement off of that bootleg action and if you make the run fake look like the run play you just are going to get that many more eyes on you and it's that split second it's the split second to give tank dell a step or two to run that inside post um you know on a safety that's now looking at the run it's just enough to get dalton schultz down the seam where he needs to get so um, or across the field. There are just a lot of different things you can do once you put a quarterback on the move and you force the defense to think. Now, defensive guys, you know, I mean, I was joking a little bit, but you want them thinking. Yeah, You, don't you want, want them getting out of reactive mode. You don't want them, yeah, you want to make things tougher on them. And that's yeah. one thing mentally that you And that's what, this, that's what it absolutely does. So those mechanics, the ball fake or the handoff, those two things for C.J. Stroud have to look the exact same because there are some things that defend, defenders can read and know, okay, that's bootleg, that's a run. A lot just reading hats of the offensive linemen. Is that high hat? Is that low hat? Then they can figure that out, whether it's run or not. So, But if they're caught looking in the backfield, which a lot of guys will do, you can catch them. You can catch them peeking, and those are the guys you can exploit. And who knows when you exploit one for a touchdown, that's the difference in a game. I mean, think of how many games in 2022 – Drew, you know this. Mm -hmm. What nine, ten games we had, uh, we either had the lead, were tied, or within a score going into the fourth quarter, starting the fourth quarter. You know that was a team that was not exceptional. Let's be honest, and yet they were in all those games. Well, what happens if you in those three or four, you know, three or four of those games, you make one of those plays in the fourth quarter, and you win a couple early? Well, then maybe that turns into winning a few games down the road, and who knows what that can turn into. You just said the words Tank Dell and Tank Dell, explosive. Shifty, one of the leaders in touchdowns, receiving yards over the last couple of years in college football, but the slight frame is what is always mentioned with Tank Dell. Well, it's, what what are the what are the specifics? Five eight one sixty five. If 
if he's lucky. Yeah. Okay. And I hear that. And so that instantly makes me think, oh, he's tiny. He's going to look like, you know, a, a water bug out there. And then when he was out there on the field, he's not big, obviously, but he doesn't, he just doesn't look as small as you would think those dimensions are. Like he, he looked like he belonged out there, John. Sure. He did not look like he was some sort of, you know, novelty. I mean, he just seeing him in pads or not pads, but shoulder pads and helmet and next to everybody with a jersey on, he looked like he belonged. Okay. And that's before he catches anything, that's before he makes any moves. It did not, it, it was not out of place. It, it, am I, am I kind of clear on what I'm saying here? Like he looks like, yeah, he's, he should be there, you know? Yeah, regardless am of the size. I mean, no, no, you're exactly right. I don't I mean, think he looked really teeny tiny when he was out there. Like you would think he would when you see those numbers for his height and his weight put up and you, you know what the numbers are normally. When you see him, in, it's interesting because when you see him in a hallway, you go, dang. You know, because he still has a little bit of a baby face too. So, sure. you know, he, he just, he looks like. Well, that's because like, you and I are old as hell now. No, this is true. We're in our 40s. It's very true. So, so that, skew, that skews everything really. Yeah. Um, and I'm 51. I I'm not scared to say it, but right, right. you do. You, you see him and you think, boy. Um, but then you see him on the field, and and I, it's interesting you say that, Drew, because I, I have not looked at him ever as being out of place. From the time I was talking to Dana Holgerson mm -hmm. before the kickoff game in 2021, since that moment when he said that's the most electrifying player I've ever coached, and thinking right. back, thinking back to all the players that he has coached. I thought, boy, that's a ooh, okay. And then on the field, you realize, wow, wow. And I mean, think about it this way: if you get out on a on a Houston freeway, right, you're amongst all these F one fifties and you know, you know, big Infinities and all these big SUVs and trucks and all that kind of stuff, you know. But if you've got a Maserati. I mean, those trucks can't hold a candle to that Maserati. That Maserati doesn't look out of place. I think scooting in between cars and getting to places because it's so quick. I mean, he is the Maserati of this group. And so he may not physically look the part you see him in a huddle and you're like, he's, those guys tower over him. But then when he's out running routes, everybody and their brother is scared of him. Yeah. And that's a, that's a fear that I love that the Texans now have. That they have at least at least one at least one player, and there are, I think going to be others, but at least one player where you look at it and go, man, defenses have to account for him. Yeah. Now, I wish the Colts wouldn't have gotten one too. They went out and got Josh Downs, and it's kind of the same concept. Now Downs is a little bit bigger, but I think Tank's a little bit more electric. So, you know, those two teams. Kind of, it's interesting how the Colts and the Texans att attack the draft. They. They both went out and got quarterbacks. They yep. both went out and got dynamic interior passing weapons that can be used in a lot of different places on the field. But they just wanted to put pressure on on defenses, which is not something that they were able to do. Uh, really, I mean, after the Colts lost, Jonathan Taylor was downhill, and you know the Texans really struggled all year offensively. But but they did have something when Damian Pierce was carrying the football. So now you got Pierce. Now you got Tank Dell. Hopefully you're going to get something for John Mechie, which would be fantastic. You know, Nico, Robert Woods gets brought in or Brown comes in and then Dalton Schultz, who, yeah, depending on where you want to classify him, tight end receiver, I don't care. He's just a pass catching weapon. That's the way I look at it. Sure. So you add all that in and now you've got guys that a make a defense think a little bit and B man, as a defender, really the only recourse you have in certain cases is well, I got back up. 
I got to move back. Well, sometimes that's all you need is just a half step here, a step there. You're further back than you would be. I mean, watching defenses against the Texans the last couple of years, they just they just camp. They just look for Damian Pierce, especially last year, and they would just camp everybody around a box, and they they would dare you. It was like 1995 football, which 1990s college football is like. There'd be two tight ends, the fullback, a wingback, and there would be 20 guys in the box, and it was like, okay, run against this. And yet you would, and, you know, people got smart and stopped doing that, and hopefully that's what the Texans will be, is smart and won't have to do that. And they'll run when they're looking for a pass. They'll pass when they're looking for a run. They'll put quarterbacks on the move, and I think that's going to end up being a really, really good thing when you put it all together. Now, will it happen week one? Uh, don't know. Um, you know, new things take time, but hopefully in due time, they'll get to a point where this offense is really, really fun and effective to watch. Love it. All right, let's end with a Twitter question of the day. The position group on this Texans team for 2023, heading into OTAs right now, that looks to be the strongest on paper is? Ooh. I think the secondary. I think the secondary. You, you can make a case that if you just said, Give me the top five players for the Texans right now. Who are your top five players? I mean, I think one is Laramie Tunsil. Two through five will probably be Damian Pierce, Jalen Petrie. Jalen Petrie would be in that mix, right? I mean, I would, I would think. Yep. You know, Shaq Mason, you know, is added to that mix. I don't know how far down you get before you get to Jimmy Ward. So now you're talking Petrie and Ward. Those are your safeties. You had Stingley, hopefully. Um, you know, in a in a defensive scheme that will feature him a little bit more and and he'll play a full season. Steven Nelson, I thought was really, really good. I don't think that's talked about enough. I don't think it's talked about how good Steven Nelson was last year. And then you had Shaquille Griffin to the mix just this past weekend. So now you're talking about a secondary that's not Desmond King and Tavier Thomas. Right. Pretty the Detroit duo. Yeah. Guys that have been really good for the last good couple players. of years. You now have, I think, bordering on elite players and you now have depth. Now it's a matter of that pass rush. John Grenard, uh, Chase Winovich, Jerry Hughes, Will Anderson, making sure that they get to the quarterback to allow that secondary to make even more plays than they did last year. So I think that secondary to me is, I mean, it's tough because I think the offensive line with the addition of Shaq Mason, and I think Kenyon Green's going to turn that corner this year. And I think Kenyon was on the, the verge of doing it last year, but he got hurt in that Raiders game, and I don't think he was ever right after that. So I think Kenyon Green, fully healthy, Shaq Mason, the fold. I think the offensive line's got an opportunity. Now we got to see who plays center and how that center adapts to potentially having a rookie behind and CJ Stroud or, you know, whomever, mm -hmm. um, a new quarterback to them. So at that point, I think the offensive line could be there. But I just look at the secondary and think, boy, that, that unit went from being absolutely god-awful in 2021 to being better, but not all the way there in 2022, to being potentially really good in 2023. And again, to your point, you're bringing up Dez and Tav, and I brought up you know guys before that. That that's seven guys that have you know had experience in this league. Guys that have gone to Pro Bowls um, or highly rated uh, draft picks or you know high yeah. draft picks. Just when you think you have enough, you need a little bit more. When you think it's not enough, you're in a lot of trouble. I think this group you look at and go, boy, I mean, they got seven guys for five spots. What are they going to do? No, that's exactly what you need. Yeah. That's exactly what you need to be good in the secondary. Let me add to this. You you brought up mainly the talent and who's there, which I think is, that's what I was asking, and that's perfect. And I'll add to this. 
they're probably all going to be put into a scheme and a defense that's going to be more advantageous for them yes. and for everyone around them. Right. I think it's going to be more helpful, which I think will only make that secondary look better yeah. and be better. Hope that's right. Hope it's right. Hope the secondary is of that quality. And if it is and the front's good, boy, guess something with that defense. Let's ask Cody Davis from Locked On Texans what he thinks about this defense. That's next on Texans All Access. What's happening, everybody? Welcome back to a Friday edition of Texans All Access. I'm John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. And it's time to join uh, a guy that we've got to know over the last uh, probably two, three years, maybe more than that. Uh, Cody Davis covers the Texans for Locked On Texans. He does a heck of a job. And Mark sat down and talked about the Texans and everything going on with the team right now. Cody, great to have you with us. Let's give the listeners a little bit about your background here because you cover the Houston mm-hmm. Texans, Locked On Texans, and various other platforms too. Enlighten us, Cody. Welcome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, man. It's an honor. So thank you so much, Mark. And um, as you just mentioned, yes, I do cover the Houston Texans and the Houston Rockets. So I'm not going to lie. This is the first year where I can honestly say I'm a little bit excited for the season (laughs) because, as you know, both organizations have been going through a rebuilding process and it finally seemed like both organizations is going to be entering phase two. So you can catch my Houston Texans work over at Sports Illustrated Texans Daily. I also host a daily podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network called Locked On Texans, along with myself and my co-host, John Hickman. And for my Houston Rockets work, you can catch that over at Believe in Rockets. It's like a a weekly podcast. And of course, um, also my daily reporting covering the Houston Rockets for Sports Illustrated, which is inside the Rockets. I wouldn't mind talking some Rockets, actually. But let's talk Texans, (laughs) Cody, because as you mentioned, a lot of excitement in the air. So give us your interpretation of the way the offseason has gone, because I was pleasantly and really pleasantly thrilled over <laughs> the acquisition of the hiring of D'Amico Ryans and then what happened in the draft. To me, that's a huge twofer that's happened this offseason for this organization. How did you see it going in and where we are at right now? I loved it. I loved everything about this offseason, especially when you consider that the Houston Texans, they didn't just go out and just hire a coach that was probably, you know, third, fourth, fifth on the list. No, it seems like this was their number one prospect, their number one target going into the offseason. And the fact that they actually got their head coach. The fact that the McNairs was able to go out there and get a get someone, they say, you know what, we want to bring Coach D'Amico Ryan's home, you know, to finally see um, general manager Nick Casario be confident, when, show some confidence when he say, I love working, I love this partnership that I'm developing with Coach D'Amico Ryan's. I think that is something that was missing over the last two seasons when you look at the start of this rebuild. So, Coach D'Amico Ryans did that for the Houston Texans, and not only that, he was a head coach that actually brought more credibility to this organization, given everything unfortunate events that had taken place over the last couple of seasons. You know, with him coming along, that also, as we saw, helped the Houston Rockets get some very quality veteran players throughout free agency. And, of course, when you take a look at the draft, my God. God, I think I think everybody should be excited for this upcoming season because when you take a look at what they did in the draft, I look at it from a standpoint that 
D'Amico Ryan's general manager, Nick Casario, and the rest of the Houston Texans staff, they was able to add on to the foundational pieces that they started to bring in last year. When you take a look at Damian Pierce, when you take a look at Stingley, when you take a look at Jalen Petrie, um, those are, that was like the start of foundational pieces. Now you go into this draft, you come away with not one, but two top five prospects in C.J. Stroud and, of course, Will Anderson Jr. Then with the rest of the guys that you was able to, to add, there are several pieces to where you can honestly say if the de development continues to go well, if the coaching and everything is is where we would like to see it, where we like to see it, then this is definitely going to be a year where we could honestly say the Houston Rock, the Houston Texans are not just going to move forward with their rebuild, re with their rebuild, but they definitely are going to add more wins than the three and the four wins that we have seen them get over the last what two to three seasons now. Cody Davis joining us. He's with Locked On Texans, SI, numerous other platforms, which we will get into. Cody, how do you think they handle the transition of the quarterback situation to what it was last year? Davis Mills still here, but they added Case Keenum, obviously mm -hmm. C.J. Stroud. How do you think they massage all that together and get to opening day with who might start? Because I know you get thrown these questions a lot. I do, too. <laughs> I think it's a big mystery right now. We don't know, but it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, I, honestly, I think it's going to come down between Davis Mills and C.J. Stroud, of course. Um, don't get me wrong. I like the signing of Case Keenum. Um, he is actually one of the primary veterans I wanted to see the Houston Texans get because, you know, covering both rebuilds between the Texans and the Rockets, the one thing I learned is the importance of veteran players, whether there's veterans players who could step out on the field, on the diamond, on the court, and actually provide you something, or just being a confidant that a lot of these young players need, no matter if they're in their second, third, or, 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 or first season. So when I looked at Case Keenum, I say, you know, that is going to be a guy that the Houston Texans can definitely bring in, somebody that CJ Stroud can lean on, uh, somebody that Davis Mills can lean on, because let's keep in mind, Davis Mills is still trying to, you know, develop and find his way in the league as well so you know I, I see case keenum being that for the houston texans a veteran presence um for that position group and even more so in the locker room because this is still going to be a young team um so the next question is going to be you know how does this play out between davis mills and cj stroud of course I'm not going to lie. I would love to see CJ Stroud start from the opening day, start from week one, very first snap. Uh, when you play against the Baltimore Ravens, I would love to see CJ take the helm as a team starter. However, I will understand it if the Houston Texans say, you know what, we want to give um, CJ Stroud a little bit more time to get adjusted to the speed of the NFL, to learn the playbook, to, to, to get his skill set to where it needs to be so he can go out there and succeed. And they start with with Davis Mills and I only say that because I go back to what Davis Mills went through last season and I remember and Mark you was there as well when you know the season started off kind of rough and former coach Lovey Smith had to make a replacement um and and put Kyle Allen there for for two or three games and then when they decided to move Davis Mills back up to the starter I never forget what he said when he came back he said that the two to three weeks that he wasn't the starter, he had an opportunity to see the game from a different view that, that actually helped him get more accustomed to the playbook, that actually helped him get more accustomed to the speed of the NFL. And when I heard that, I, I thought to myself right then and there, if the Houston Texans was to go out and draft for Bryce, 
uh, draft a CJ or whoever the case might be, I say to myself, I would not be mad if you take the first couple of weeks of the season, you, you, you start off with Davis Mills because that might be the difference of making sure that CJ walks into a situation where he can be the guy that we are all hoping him to be. Cody Davis joining us, Locked On Texans SI. Cody, what about the defense? How good do you think this defense can be? Because they have a lot of interesting names here with the draft choices, young talent, last couple of years, some of the veteran acquisitions. I like Steven Nelson coming back. They just got Shaquille Griffin. That's pretty interesting as well. Denzel Perryman, numerous other players up front that can help them out as well. What are your thoughts on that side of the football and how good it might be? You know, I think that this defense, it has the potential to be the Texans defense that we used to love to see during the prime years of JJ, mm. back when you had Jadavion Clowney, back when you had Jonathan Joseph. Um, and I said that because these guys are so young. And these are guys who are young, gifted, and talented. And, you, you know, you start with the defensive line unit. You look at the addition of Will Anderson Jr. You know he's going to be the foundational piece of that defense. You look at the linebacking court. You got Christian Harris, who I think, even though he missed half the season, the young man held his own by the time he finally had an opportunity. It's like he literally was just plug and play, and he went out there and held his own. You got Derek Stingley. You got Jalen Petrie. It's just like – this defense, whenever these guys hit their strive, just the young pieces that they have as of right now, it's like, okay, this defense is definitely going to be something special. Then when you take a look at the veterans, and I don't I, I don't even want to overlook some of the guys who are returning, like a Jonathan Grenard. I think that this upcoming season is definitely going to be a good season for Jonathan Grenard because, look, he has already showcased he has the talent. The only thing is he has to stay healthy. So that is like the one big knock, but he has the talent. He got pieces around him to make his job even easier. And you got a defensive-minded head coach and Coach D'Amico Rhines, who's definitely going to put you in the best situation to get the best version out of you. There is no way you could look at this Texas defense and say, look, I'm not, I'm not going to put expectations on it as of right now. But there's no way you can look at this Texans defense and say, hey, you know what, this is still going to be a team that's going to struggle to stop the run like we have seen over the last, what, two to three years. This is going to be a defense to where quarterbacks can dissect it. No, with the talent that they got, the talent that they already had, especially like um, Jerry Hughes, who had a phenomenal year as an old veteran in the locker room. And of course, like I mentioned, with the defensive-minded coach in D'Amico Ryans, I think this defense is going to be phenomenal. Cody, it's great to have you with us. Thanks so much for the visit. We look forward to many more. Yes, sir. Thank you, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. That's excellent stuff there from Cody Davis. My man, Cody Davis. Glad he joined us. A big thanks to Cody, to Mark, to Drew, and all of you for listening. Thank you so much. Y'all have a great Great weekend. We'll see you on Monday. And as always, go Texans.